Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I like that. I am so excited that we're spending our Sundays this summer digging into the Psalms. Even spending the whole summer, we're, we're not even going to begin to scratch the surface of all that the Psalms have to offer us. But I hope that we all come out of this series with a greater appreciation of the value that the Psalms have in our spiritual journey with Christ. The Psalms are, are very personally significant to my spiritual journey. It was the first scripture that I ever interacted with uh, 20 years ago before I was even a believer. I received a pocket-sized NIV Bible as a high school graduation gift from the youth pastor of the church I was attending at that time. And it's a kind of an interesting, the circumstances surrounding that's a little bit ironic, honestly, if you think about it. One, uh, the only reason I was going to that church is because the girl I wanted to date went to that church. Uh, I wasn't a believer. I didn't care what they were saying there. I just had my eyes on this girl, who, by the way, I got 20 years of marriage coming up in February. Uh, praise God for that. She's right there. Look at her. So beautiful. I love her. The second ironic thing to this situation is I was a high school dropout. I had quit high school. The youth pastor at this church didn't know, so one Sunday I'm there, and, and in the middle of service, they call the, the graduating high school seniors up on stage. And there was only a few in attendance, and I wasn't expecting to be called up, but they called me up. And I'm sitting there like, what do I do? I'm not graduating. But I went up, and they gave out this pocket-sized NIV Bible as a gift. I probably shouldn't have taken it, but you can imagine how awkward and weird that was for me when they're saying, Chris, come on, come on, Chris. And I'm like, okay. And I go up there, and thanks. I'm so excited to graduate. Yay. And, and I had quit school. So I should point out, I since went back and got my GED. I graduated college summa cum laude, and you know, God has helped me recover from all that early, early crappy mistakes I made in my life. Anyways, later that night, I'm sitting at home with that NIV Bible in my hand, and it's certainly the nicest book I'd ever owned in my life. And I'm wondering, what do I do with this thing? Is this like a novel? It looks like a really long, boring novel. I'm not sure I want to read this. But I felt compelled by it. I felt drawn to it. And I remember in that moment, somewhere along the way, someone had shared with me. And I don't know why I picked it up, why I paid so much attention to it, why it stuck with me. But someone had, I'd heard somewhere Someone said, no matter what Bible you have, it doesn't matter how many pages it has or what's in the front, what's in the back, what translation it is, whatever, if you open up to the middle, you'll be in the Psalms. And I remembered that in that moment. I thought, let's see if that's true. And I do that, and sure enough, there's Psalms. I don't know what Psalms are. I'd never heard that word before. But I started reading. And I think I must have spent two hours that first night reading the Psalms. And I remember thinking, man, this is weird stuff. I don't, I don't know what half this stuff means. But I also remember thinking that moment, I, I didn't know this kind of stuff was in the Bible. I've felt that way before. I've struggled with that before. That's kind of relevant to my life right now, what's going on in my life right now. It's, it's amazing how rich the Psalms are. I've spent more time in Psalms than in any other book of the Bible. There's literally not a scenario, situation, or moment in life in which the Psalms are not meaningful and relevant in some way. God speaks to us through the reading of his word. And for me personally, he's spoken to me more through the Psalms than any other book of the Bible. Have you ever felt like life is just overwhelming? Go to the Psalms. Have you ever felt like your spiritual life is just dry and stagnant? You're kind of stuck somewhere? Go to the Psalms. Have you ever felt like you're not sure how to put to words the things you're feeling or thinking about a certain situation you're facing? Go to the Psalms. 
Have you ever just felt lost? Go to the Psalms. Have you ever felt like you're on the mountain and everything's going as it should be? The light shining bright on you. You're walking in step with God. Everything's falling into place. Go to the Psalms and celebrate there. The Psalms are so good. And they are are rich and meaningful simply by just reading them. We don't have to do any sort of legwork ahead of time. But I will say this, they become even more rich and meaningful when we take a few things into consideration. The first thing is this, they become more rich and meaningful when we, when we learn and discover what they meant to the original Jewish worshipers who would have interacted with them or, or read them aloud or heard someone else read them or heard someone sing them. What would, what would the, the words have meant to them? What images would have come to their minds? When we discover that, it becomes even more rich and meaningful. And then the second thing, and this is by far the most important, the Psalms and all scripture for that matter becomes more rich and meaningful when we read it through the lens of Jesus Christ. When we read it through the lens of Jesus Christ. When Jesus declared on the cross that it is finished, he was referring to the the fact that everything in scripture was leading up to that moment in which he died on the cross. It was all building up to that and he fulfilled everything in scripture including in the Psalms. And so the Psalms are loaded with Jesus, and and Jesus is so evident in the Psalms, even though his name is never actually once mentioned in the Psalms. He is there, so clear. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at Psalm 130. If you have your Bibles, you can start turning there. And we're going to unpack this Psalm a bit. We're going to look at what it would have meant to the original Jewish worshipers, and then we're going to look at what it means for us today through the lens of Jesus Christ, knowing what Jesus Christ has done, knowing that he has fulfilled everything through his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his promise to come back again. So I'm going to invite us to to go to God in prayer briefly before we read the, the scripture this morning. So I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I thank you so much for this opportunity we have to gather together, Lord. And I thank you for your word, God, the truth of your holy scriptures. And I'm particularly thankful for that first Bible I was ever given, Lord. And I'm so thankful that today we have such easy access to your word, God. Whether we want to hold a book in our hands or download an app on our smartphones, God, we can literally carry your word with us every moment of every day. Holy Spirit, I ask you overwhelm us in this place and open up our hearts and minds to the truth of your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So this particular psalm is classified as a song. It was literally meant to be sung. I'm going to do you a favor and not sing it for you today. But just know that it was, it, it, this is a song that we just read. It's also known as a, more specifically as a song of ascent. There are some psalms that are classified as songs of ascent. And we know that because 
what was intended to happen is that Jewish worshipers, pilgrims specifically, as they're on their way to Jerusalem to worship in the temple, they would sing these songs as they were preparing their hearts and minds to ascend into God's house to worship Him there. They would sing these songs, and so they call them the songs of ascent. Pastor Craig's going to unpack that for us more in a few weeks, um, so I won't get into that too much. But for the original Jewish worshipers, this psalm, when they sung it or heard it sung, the words, it would have taken them on this proverbial journey. It would have transported their hearts and minds to these different locations. These lyrics would have painted mental pictures for them about what God was doing or what they were waiting for God to do in their lives. Have you ever listened to a song or do you have a song that when you hear it, you just go somewhere else in your mind? It just brings up memories of all this other stuff and you just are instantly transported there. That's what this would have been like for the original Jewish worshipers. And when we consider these locations and the meaning behind them through the lens of Jesus Christ, we see that Jesus has changed everything. And the whole meaning and significance of the psalm just opens up even more because of Jesus Christ. So we're going to break down this psalm. We're going we're to go in our hearts and our minds to each of these different locations. We're going to explore what it would have been like for the original worshipers and what it means for us today because of Jesus Christ. And so let's start with verses 1 through 2. It says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. This psalm begins right away with a sense of desperation. This is not some casual call out to, to someone. This is a desperate cry from the depths to God. Someone desperate for rescue. For the original Jewish worshipers, this language would have painted for them a picture of someone drowning in the sea. Near death, drowning in the sea. I'll share a little bit of the, of the psyche of Chris Taylor for you this morning. I'm going to get vulnerable and open. My deepest, darkest fear in life is deep, dark water. It scares the crap out of me. It terrifies me. And that's interesting because for 15 years I lived on the, the coast of Maryland and Delaware, so I've spent countless hours, countless hours swimming in the ocean. I love it, but it scares me to death. Just a week and a half ago or so, I was on a boat in the deepest, darkest part of Canada. We're like diving off the boat into that water, looking down, scared to death, but having a blast. It's interesting. But that's, that's me. That's a bit of me. And so this scene is just, for me, really intense. To think about someone drowning at the bottom of the sea, trapped down there, desperate to be rescued, just, just desperate. That's intense, right? Picture that if you can. This is the picture the psalmist paints for us. And in the midst of the drowning, the psalmist is pleading with God to hear his voice, to hear his pleas for mercy. Have you ever screamed underwater? Have you ever yelled underwater? You create a lot of bubbles, but no one outside the water is going to hear you. There's no sound outside above the surface of the water. And so we have this picture of someone crying out and no one hearing them. And the word for cry that the psalmist uses signifies a cry that has been going on for a long while, becoming more and more desperate over time, crying out to any who might hear. But it's not until the cry is directed to the Lord that there is any hope of being rescued. Have you ever been there in life? Drowning in despair, just feeling like everything is, has just sucked you down and you cannot get out. From this song in the psalm, we learn that God is the way out. 
He will hear our cries from any depths. And this becomes even more apparent when we consider Jesus Christ. Listen to these words from Romans 5, 6-8. It says, While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we're drowning in the depths, we need someone to risk it all and and dive in to rescue us. Jesus didn't merely risk his life for us. He actually gave his life for us. He hears us from the depths, from any depths. Why? Because he's right there in the depths with us. That should be a source of, of immense hope in our lives. Jesus Christ has rescued us from death to life. He's rescued us from death to life. Let's move on. Psalm 130, verses 3 through 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So now the psalmist takes us from drowning in the depths of the sea to facing judgment in a courtroom. The original Jewish worshipers, when they heard the words like iniquities or forgiveness, they would have known this was legal judicial language that was being spoken. So their minds would have gone to a court or a trial. Now, thankfully, I've never been in this situation, but I imagine it must be very frightening to stand before a judge and hear the words, guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. And this is the the picture the psalmist is painting for us, but much more intense than that, much more than, than just one charge. Imagine someone calling out everything you've ever done wrong in your entire life, every single mistake you've made, every single sin you've committed, every time you've wronged someone, imagine someone calling those out. And along with each one of those, declaring a punishment that you must serve to make up for those things. That's what's happening here. That's what's happening here. The psalmist uh, reveals a remarkable truth, though, in this. A truth that separates the one true God of the Bible from any other gods that are ever thought of. And the psalmist reveals this truth through a rhetorical question. The psalmist says, if God marked our iniquities, if, if, if God kept a record of our sins, who could stand? Who could stand? Who could stand up, let alone walk away innocent? The reality is no one could, but the amazing truth is God does not do that. God doesn't keep a record of our sins. He doesn't keep track of all of our iniquities. In fact, we are more likely to remember our past sins and mistakes, and we're far more likely to remember the past sins and mistakes of other people, way more than God does. We have a much longer memory about those things than God does. And in fact, because of of Jesus Christ, we actually know what has happened to our record of sins. We know what's happened to it. Listen to Colossians 2, 13 through 14. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. God says, I don't keep a record of sins. I've taken that record of sins and it's been nailed to the cross in Jesus Christ. That's amazing to think about. It just blows my mind to think about that. And the psalmist, he goes on to say something interesting. He says, because of this forgiveness of God, God should be feared. I want to pause there for a moment because 
Sometimes I think we hear something like that, like fear the Lord or fear God, and it, it can be hard to understand what is meant by that. But throughout human history, there is, there is a long list of very powerful people using their power in very evil, wicked ways. But here we have God with all this power, the most powerful being in the universe, the power to know the sin of every single human being who's ever lived, the power to punish us for every single sin we've ever committed. And instead of using his power in that way, what does God do? He uses his power to, to nail our sins to the cross through the death of his son and forgive us of our sins. That's amazing. The fear that the psalmist speaks of is a deep respect, a sense of awe at the power, majesty, and mercy of our God who, who wipes away our sins and offers us forgiveness instead. I remember early on in my spiritual journey, for a few years after I accepted Christ, I remember often being riddled with this guilt that led to immense shame. This guilt that led to immense shame. I, 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 I remember thinking, I'm not worthy of the forgiveness that God has given me. I'm not worthy of, of the death that Jesus suffered for me. I'm not worthy of it. And it led to this guilt that led to immense shame. But after a few years of struggling with that and, and spending a lot of time in God's word, a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time in the Psalms, talking to other people about it, I, I, I learned actually how we should feel about that. I, I learned that I'm not worthy of God's forgiveness. And I'm not worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for me, but God decided for whatever reason that I am worthy of it. He said, you are worthy of that, so worthy I'm gonna actually do it. And now when I, when I think about that, I'm left feeling not, not guilt that leads to shame, but this overwhelming love and reverence for God and my Savior Jesus Christ. Guilt that leads to shame does not come from God. Conviction that leads to repentance comes from God, but guilt that leads to shame is not from God. It's not what he wants us to feel. So if you feel guilt and shame over that, just know God has decided that you're worthy. And he's decided to use all his power to wipe away your sins through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has rescued us from guilt and brought us to forgiveness. So he's rescued us from death and brought us to life. He's rescued us from guilt and brought us to forgiveness. Let's keep going. Psalm 130 Five through six. It says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. The song, it, it now teleports us from a courtroom to the walls of an ancient city. And the original Jewish worshipers would have heard the language of watchmen in the morning and they would have known it was referring to guards who had the, the task of guarding the city walls overnight. They had the graveyard shift. This is, a, this is a difficult one for us to understand. It's hard for us to picture you know, the task of having to, to stand along city walls and looking out into the dark, deep night for any threat that may approach the city. But that's what these watchmen who were waiting for the morning had to do. And as I thought about that, something came to mind. Uh, I, I was reminded of the morning my, very, my, my first daughter, my oldest daughter, slept through the night for the first time. And it was interesting. It was the most refreshing, best night of sleep I've ever had in my entire life. And I remember waking up that morning and my wife's stirring next to me, lights coming in our windows. And I'm not sure who said it first, but Madison was just a month old when this happened. And I'm not sure who said it first, but one of us said, did you wake up with Maddie last night? And the other was like, no, didn't you? Panic ensues. We, we make sure she's still breathing. But once we find out she's still breathing, we were left just feeling like, oh, 
This was amazing. We made it. We made it. If, if she slept through the night tonight, maybe she'll do, or last night, maybe she'll do it again tonight and the night after. We won't walk around like zombies anymore. There was this amazing sense of rest and peace that came over us. And I imagine in this situation, I imagine the, the watchman waiting for the morning. When, when the sun finally rose, when that morning came, it would have been this overwhelming sense of relief and peace and rest. Relief knowing that the city remained safe under their watch. Relief knowing they got to go home to their family. Relief in knowing that they got to have some rest. For those guards, those watchmen, the morning represented hope, peace, and rest. And the morning was worth waiting for. The morning was worth waiting for. The psalmist, he, he connects this with our souls waiting for God. The reality is a soul without God is a soul lost in darkness, riddled with fear and vulnerable to any number of threats. And the psalmist and the original Jewish worshipers, they were waiting in the depths of their soul for God's redemptive work for their Messiah to come. Now if we think about this through the lens of Christ, guess what? We don't have to wait anymore. Jesus has come. We have received our Messiah. The morning has come in our lives. And, and that for us, is we can't even describe what that's like. We're no longer stuck in the night. The glorious morning of Christ has come. Listen to 1 Peter 2.9. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are citizens of God's kingdom and no darkness can lessen the light that shines there. The walls of God's city are perpetually safe because Jesus has rescued us from darkness and brought us into the light. So Jesus has rescued us from, from death and brought us to life. He's rescued us from guilt and brought us to forgiveness. He's rescued us from darkness and brought us into the light. And let's go on to the last two verses of this song. Verses 7 and 8. It says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So lastly, we're now taken from the walls of the dark walls of this ancient city to, to the slave market in a foreign land. When the Jewish worshipers would have sang lyrics or heard lyrics about redemption and redeeming Israel, they, their minds probably would have first gone to their ancestors who spent centuries as slaves in Egypt. The history of slavery was rooted into the Jewish people and their learning. They learned about their ancestors and how they suffered for hundreds of years as slaves in Egypt. And if you think about that, this, this song, the verse of this song is about people being rescued or taken out of a hopeless, desperate situation. The Israelite slaves in Egypt had absolutely no way to rescue themselves. Egypt was the greatest empire known to land. They had the most powerful army in the world. The Israelites literally had nothing except they had all they needed because they had the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Apart from God, we are enslaved to sin. And that is the worst type of bondage. There is only one source of freedom for us, and that is God. That is God. I kind of, maybe you can relate to this. A sin you struggle with, right? Anybody have ever had a sin they struggle with? 
So then you go back to him, back to him, and you keep doing it, you keep doing it, and, and you struggle with it, and you're thinking, you reach a point where you think, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. But you still keep doing it. But then you reach a point where, okay, I don't want to do that anymore, and I, I've tried everything I can to stop doing it, so I realize I need God to help me to stop doing this. And then what happens? You start to find some freedom from that sin. And you start to able to distance yourself from that sin. But what happens sometimes? What happens sometimes? Sometimes. Maybe I'm the only one. Life gets stressful. Life gets hard. I let my guard down. And what do I do? I fall back into that sin. And that feeling that comes afterwards is this feeling of, why did I do that again? Why am I? I I feel trapped by this. I feel sucked into that. I feel chained up by that. I feel enslaved to that. That's kind of the picture that the psalmist is painting here. This stuck in a situation that there is no way on earth we could possibly get ourselves out of. But the psalmist presents a solution. It is God and his redemptive work. To redeem someone is literally means, redemption literally means setting someone free by paying a price. In ancient Israel, slavery meant you, had to, you were a slave for a certain term of time. And for those whose slavery was lifelong, you were, you were a slave till someone bought you back or bought you out of that slavery. That was the only way to get out of it. But when we read this through the lens of Jesus Christ, we see that's what Jesus has done for us. Listen to these words from Romans 6. It says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God instead, or slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For our freedom from slavery, there was no violent revolt needed. There was no need for a war to be fought in order to gain freedom. What was needed was one man, Jesus Christ, dying for all people to experience that freedom. Jesus paid the price to rescue us from slavery and bringing us into freedom. That's what we get from this psalm. That's what we get. We see the richness of Jesus Christ and what he's done in us. And if we're followers of Christ, we have been rescued from all of these terrible locations and situations. But we may still find ourselves in seasons like these, in seasons of like these during our spiritual journey. We all find ourselves in these proverbial spots from time to time. The question is, do we stay there? Do we try to figure things out on our own? Or do we trust in Christ? Psalm 130 is all about the reality that comes, the amazing things that come from trusting in God. Crying out to him from the depths, waiting for him in the morning, trusting in him to be forgiveness of sins, trusting for him to buy us out of slavery. As the original worshipers sang this song, it would have strengthened their hope and trust in God, and it can do the same for us. I want to share just a few things that we get from this psalm, a few steps we can take, a few decisions we can make right now, beginning today, that'll help us trust in God and help us experience what the psalmist describes here. First is seek God first. 
Seek God first. The psalmist doesn't try to swim up on their own. They can't get out of their jail sentence. They can't make mourning come any faster. And they certainly could not set themselves free from bondage. There was only one solution, and that was God. We need to seek God first. If you're sitting here and you've not yet even said yes to Jesus for the first time, you need to seek God now. Don't wait another minute. Make that decision now. Make that decision now. All we can do is seek God. We need to seek Him first. The second thing, we seek God first, then we repent to God. We repent to God. I think it's too easy for us to to take God's forgiveness of our sins for granted. One way to stop doing that is to repent of our sins, not just once, but daily. Daily repentance. It'll keep the reality of Jesus' redemptive work on the cross fresh in our hearts and our minds. It'll constantly remind us, God, You've forgiven me of my sins, and here's how you did it. I'm not worthy of it, but you've decided I'm worthy of it. Thank you, Lord. Help me not to sin anymore now. That's what repentance is all about. Seek God first, repent to God. Wait on God is the third thing. Wait on God. How often does our impatience lead us to trying to take matters into our own hands and just making a mess of things? God is worth waiting for, and He is always on time because His timing is always perfect. When we wait for the morning, the morning will come. And with that morning comes hope and joy and rest and peace. And finally, as the worship team makes their way back on stage, what we get from this psalm is a very clear instruction to praise God always. Praise God always. The last two verses of this psalm are all about praising God. Praising God for His steadfast love and His plentiful plentiful. Redemption. God is always worthy of praise, and when we are constant in praise, then we are constantly reminded of the goodness and glory of God. We're constantly reminded of the goodness and glory of God. Let me ask you this question. Is God worthy of your praise? Has He rescued you from life to death or from death to life? Has He? Has He rescued you from, from guilt to, to, to forgiveness? Has he rescued you from darkness to light? Has he rescued you from slave to freedom? So is he worthy of your praise? Yes, every moment of every day. So we're going to close out our time together praising God. I'm going to invite you all to stand up as you're able. Stand up. The worship team is getting ready to sing a song that was introduced last weekend. And it's all, I want you to listen to the words of the song. Do what it says. Declare your praise to God. Celebrate what Jesus has done in your life. Celebrate what Jesus has done in your life. We're going we're gonna to pray, and then we're going to praise together. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your love and for the fact that you use your power, God, not to destroy us, not to hold us down, not to punish us for all our sins, but you use your power to create a way for us to be set free, to be rescued. You use your power not to send down destruction, Lord, but to send down your Son to rescue us. I pray for any of those who are here now or watching online, Lord, if they have not yet accepted you as their Lord and Savior, I pray today would be the day of their salvation. I pray that today would be the day they say yes to you. And for all of us, Lord, who've already made that decision, may we recognize what you've rescued us from and that no matter what situation we face, if we let you, if we let you, God, you will rescue us. And so, Lord, overwhelm us with your presence right now. 
We give you all the praise and the glory, Lord, because you are worthy. And it's the least we can do, God. We pray in your name. Amen.